Hello everyone and welcome to the Feminist Lens podcast with Nino and Perez from Women for Wanawake. Today we have some amazing, great guests. We've got uh, Rosalind Warren and Remy Bumstead to talk about the work that they do on the environment, women's rights and uh, any other things that they, uh, they're interested in what they get on with. So to start with, uh, Remy and Rosalind, it would be really good to hear a little bit about yourself. So um, do you want to start, Rosalind, just to introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. Uh, yeah, my name is Ros and um, I am a journalist working I've been working for the last 10 years in sort of media and sort of digital media but also human rights and women's rights um kind of a mix and merge of all of these things um but generally speaking um my work centers on sort of storytelling and reporting and writing um and thinking about ways to um get stories about women uh, to a global audience and and also vice versa getting global stories about women to uh, places where people wouldn't typically come across or hear about them. So um, I've worked as a reporter for BuzzFeed, but also uh, freelance for uh, CNN and The Guardian, doing various stories around women's rights. Um, and uh, yeah, that's a very brief overview. Of, so I generally work in journalism space. Thank you. And Remy? Yeah, so my name is Remy. I'm a filmmaker and uh, I've kind of been freelance for the last five years now. Uh, and my main focus is uh, working on projects about, um, well, a kind of range of things, but things to do with kind of the environment, uh, social issues. Uh, and a lot of my work is actually with kind of charities and NGOs um, all over the world, really. Um, so I've, yeah. I've, had yeah had the privilege of kind of working on some really cool projects in the last few years uh like with the un in somalia um various charities in kenya and also this uh film with roz in the philippines last year was it last year uh, january 2019 yeah it was last yeah, year last year yeah, time, time is a blur in, in time is a blur <laughs> um and me and roz actually know each other from school we've known each other for like 20 years, years yeah <laughs> wow we've known um, a long time yeah so and we bonded like at school um uh, because we were both interested in things like i think <laughs> the moment we like fully bonded was the like 2003 anti-war marches um mm -hmm. and that's when we realized like oh yeah we're like soulmates because we care about <laughs> the world and we don't want war who <laughs> like went to all those like the like student-y kind of protests um and that was also a time where like things really felt like they were going to change and you know we were yeah we were were you involved really... in the occupy movement did you do anything with that with the um did you hear about that the occupy that was a little bit later that i mean later. yeah when we yeah. were at university yeah, yeah, yeah. Old, um, yeah, so yeah, as Ramey said, we've known each other for a long time. We've always cared about a lot of the same issues and they've crossed over. And the reason I, I mean, with this particular project that, that you got in touch about, um, I, as a freelancer, I'm always looking for grants and funding for various reporting and storytelling. And I saw the National Geographic had this amazing opportunity to apply for this big chunk of money to do some storytelling and they didn't specifically ask for a story about women they just asked for broader stories around 
uh, environmental destruction and sort of the wider discussion around climate change. And, um, but I put forward this idea um, and it shifted a little bit. Originally it was focused on just a sort of small community um, of campaigners and, and people on the ground. But then actually we refined that over a few months and, and thought actually focusing on women um, because land defenders are being targeted as one thing, but um, actually my passion area is... is oh, sorry, I'm, I'm yeah, Rosalind, what is the film actually, just for our listeners, like what is the film actually about? So what is the crux of it? Um, and why did you do it? I know you, you were answering this anyway. No, yeah, sorry. So, well, yeah. Um, Thank so, you. So the film is about um, people, uh, the broader issue of people around the world being targeted uh, with uh, violence, uh, with government attacks, um, because they are defending their land and trying to protect the environment within their community. And so um, that is a broader theme. But Ramey and I in this film look at the lives of uh, one particular woman, but um, a community of women um, that she, she goes into her forest in, on this island, Palawan, in the Philippines. And um, essentially monitors it and tracks it and, and I guess um, defends it, uh, you know, from environmental destruction, obviously with limited resources um, and up against quite a big challenge of big mining companies. Um, but as we discovered, and actually as Raimi really beautifully put in the movie, you know, she had very much a very spiritual connection to this land that we went into this film not really anticipating, you know, I, I'm sort of a news head, so I was thinking of a very sort of black, not black and white, but thinking like, you know, they're doing X, Y, Z, and they are defending the land in this way. But actually, um, amazingly, when we were there, we we sort of unraveled this bigger picture about this really amazing human connection to the environment. Um, and I'm sure Ramy could speak more to that. Yeah, and I think that's 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 the thing which is which I personally really like about this film and really enjoyed about the filming process of this um, is exactly that. It's the human connection to, to the land, the human connection to nature, the human connection to trees, like the actual kind of spirituality that kind of they have with the forest and how important the forest is to them. Um, and it was, it was so amazing actually, because like watching uh, Noel Caesar, who's like the main protagonist of the story, watching her kind of walk through the forest and almost have this relationship with it and like kind of looking around, but not just like looking around if you're just going for a walk and you're like, oh, no, that's a tree, and oh, that's a whatever. Like walking around and almost seeing her friends in a way, that same kind of connection where, I don't know, you could just see that she was so connected to the land. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, on a personal level like that's also what i kind of see as the most important thing for humanity is us getting back to that relationship with nature that relationship with um the forest on a not just seeing it as some trees but actually seeing them as kind of living um souls in a way and i don't like I guess that kind of goes down. Like, oh, it's such a hippie thing to say, but it's. I think that's the. That's the. That I think is the key that we all need. We need to have that relationship with nature that's almost like a relationship with a person. 
and then that's why we that's how we would start to care for the environment and the planet more yeah, so we watched it, Nina and I, and it was, it was so moving. I think a seeing women in the driving seat of of change, um, and also as you mentioned about you know the forest and, and the respect of it and nature and how important it is, it is to bring us back down to earth and and bringing us together, which is kind of what the film looks like it did. It kind of brought people together back to basics, and um, and it was really moving to see one. I think was it a mayor, the mayor that who was crying and she's sitting in her office, and that touched me actually because I thought. She's in this like concrete jungle, but she's so moved by what's happening to people, um, you know, in the jungle. And, and also it's a way of life, it's preserving a way of life, a beautiful way of life. Um, and I think this is something that kind of needs to be protected. And so that's something that definitely your film highlights. And it's really great to hear that you both were really moved and touched by that. And that was kind of the driving force to enable you to continue the work that you're doing. Um, and so Nina and I definitely really excited to see what else you're going to be doing, because we're both really passionate about the environment, as we mentioned earlier. And, um, and I think a lot of people have become that way. Um, I think we're kind of being forced to go back to how things were because it's about community. Uh, it's about respect. It's about um, really appreciating what's important in life um, and kind of respecting the environment um, in a way that I think we haven't done so in, I think in my generation, I, mean, I don't know about others, but I think it's all about, you know, iPhones and all these type of things, but actually those things don't, don't matter. And these are destroying, um, our interconnectedness in, in a very rapid and, and fast way. And so um, it was really beautiful to see. Um, so the next question, uh, which, you know, going on to women, it's what was your take on, on, I mean, did you expect that you would see women at the forefront of this change, uh, you know, defend it, or did you expect that you'd go to this jungle and, and see a bunch of men kind of like, what, what kind of research did you do before? And why did you pick this particular space, this particular spot and these amazing women that you, you worked so closely with? Um, so the vast majority of my work is focused on women and it's always something looking through the lens of a feminist lens and thinking about how this impacts women around the world. And I think, especially with environmental stories, um, the environment isn't my typical beat, but I very much am passionate about ensuring that we have women-focused narratives and experiences when we talk about the environment and climate change, because that is always uh, pushed aside. Um, in all in all areas and all top topics, but especially with the environment as well, you see that you know a lot of environmental campaigners can be men, can be white, can be Western, and actually, what I was really keen to show here was um, really from from this perspective of these from these women, and that was something that Ramy and I were really we we really loved to do in this in this film, um, and so definitely from a feminist lens, from a, the reason the Philippines was because Philippines is an area that has one of the highest rates of um targeting of land defenders in the world um and it was also something um yeah that, that was something in terms of context and location and um yeah we were just really keen we didn't and in terms of research before um you know obviously looking into the attacks on land defenders but as i mentioned it wasn't necessarily at first like i'm going to do this from a feminist lens even though that's my bread and butter and what i'm used to um, but naturally that felt like when I was doing my research, I found more and more that there felt like there was a gap missing and that was something that we could and should focus on. And so when we were there on the ground, actually coming to Nasita and her particular community, that was with the support of a mixture of a local, again, our entire team was women, basically, you know, our fixers were women, um, in, other than Remy, obviously. Really a token man, that's fine. <laughs> but you know, we, we worked with a woman on the ground who, um, and women both 
both in um, in the city and on the island um, who were fixers who were able to help identify locals who would add this perspective that was so that we felt was so necessary so um, yeah it's something that we really care about and something as I mentioned in, in the broader picture um, is just not done enough in journalism and in media and in the and I'm sure Ray we can speak about it from a, a sort of film focused perspective as well but it's it's certainly something that we took very seriously and you know considered to be a missing part of this wider conversation around climate change yeah and I I think you've pretty much summed it all up to be honest um but yeah I think from going back to the point that a lot of uh kind of environmental rights uh people you tend to mainly see men um and actually one of the uh, stories we were potentially going to film before this one was actually a male group uh, in the Philippines in the same region um, but then through various things with the story then turned to to Nolcita uh, and I think it does give a much I think yeah much more powerful story because it's because it's you don't really see that many stories about powerful women defending the land um, and to, to add to that, I think the what, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, Nosita and um, and the other women don't go into the forest armed with armour and, you know, are, are not sort of like, there, there's no physical powerful tools, you know, it's not like we, and that was also something that was really beautiful and quite amazing was that because as Raimi said, they had such an amazing connection to the environment that that felt like the powerful force in itself. And, and their connection and their deep understanding and, and raw emotions walking through that forest, it just, it felt like really incredible. And it felt and like that's something we wanted to convey in, in the film as well, was just this you, powerful doesn't mean armor and, and you know, these weapons, it just, it can be just the sheer emotion and passion behind something. And that felt powerful to us. And that was what was just quite remarkable. I think you definitely, definitely got that across with the film because it felt very, very personal, even from like the shots. I mean, I'm not, I don't know the terminology around film, but just uh, the shots of the fire very close. And then in the forest, everything felt very intimate. And I think that, I think that obviously shows, as you just said, that's what you wanted to convey is that closeness um, of the women and their land, their forest. But it's, it just makes me so sad as well. Like it is a very emotional, as you said, it is, it is very, very sad because of what is happening. Um, and obviously this is almost like a, a massive call to action, right? And obviously we can talk about this a bit later on, but it's just, it's just so, it's so infuriating at the same time as being emotional to watch such a beautiful piece of art, but also this is actually people's lives happening. It's what would like, so this kind of leads me on to the question I wanted to ask, we wanted to know is to you, and sorry if this is triggering, but what was the most moving moment um, whilst you were out there, whether it was when you were filming or did anything just click whilst you were making the film or speaking to someone, speaking to one of the women? I think, um, I mean, one of the moving, one of the most moving parts was actually when we were trying to get the footage of the kind of deforested area. And that in itself was like, quite an intense task because basically that area that had been deforested which there's like some drone shots in the film where you see the kind of deforestation that was actually 
like it had happened six months before or something. Um, so we couldn't, we couldn't actually get footage of it taking place. But where, where we did go, we had to take this like really small kind of like dirt road round kind of the back of the mining company area. Um, and to do that, we had to go past like this checkpoint where there was like armed guards from the mining company, um, kind of stopping people getting too close. But then we were able to fly this drone like three kilometers so we could actually get the shot. Um, but to see, to see that level of, of armory around a forest that has been cut down, you know, like there's, su there's such a level of like anger and hatred and destruction that you have to like border off what's already destroyed with armed guards. Like it just felt like there's such a, such a kind of like juxtaposition between the like serenity and the beauty of the forest, like literally just down the road that was untouched. And then this area that was like, ripped apart by machines and there was armed guards stopping you to get close I don't know it just felt like such a such a and such a kind of contrast to the beauty which I think what I actually found the most moving was actually a beautiful movingness rather than like a sad movingness which was again that that connection that um that they had to the forest and especially uh the bit which is even in the film with with the mayor Mary Jean when she uh, when she starts crying, just think, just recalling the forest being cut down, and she's just like completely brought to tears. And we had to kind of stop the interview for a while, and she had to leave the room to kind of compose herself because that that's how kind of impactful it is, and how important the, the forest is to them. To echo what Ramey just said, I think certainly that conversation with the mayor was um, really emotive and definitely, um, I think also because we didn't necessarily anticipate her to show that emotion. So we were, we, we thought, you know, we, we just didn't see that happening in that moment. And so that was quite um, uh, jarring in, in not in a bad way though, but it was just, it was, it was raw. Um, and then actually to go to his point about the footage that Ramey shoots of um, of the actual land uh, bare. Um, and actually there was a moment when we were there and we came into the area where all the le uh, leaves or the logs are cut down. And it was, it was just this huge space of just cut down logs in this massive area. And these logs are so high stacked up and it's and, and they're all freshly cut even though they've probably been there for months but it just felt like so in that moment and raw and, and fresh and um it was just it felt so devastating and and really upsetting to see just such a obvious display of destruction um it, it just felt like everything you know 101 of like looking after the environment was not there and it was um, really start. I think Ramey, we were walking around in silence. Like Ramey and I just walked off away from each other, walking around, observing these. And they had, as Ramey, they had like numbers on the logs as well. And we were trying to understand what the markings were and yeah. trying to decipher like what this space was. And, and it was just horrible, to be honest. Like, but uh, I mean, important for us to see, but just upsetting as well. Yeah. And it was, it was, it felt like a, a graveyard. Mm. Um, but such a like bleak, horrible one. 
um, and also they they basically this this area of all the trees that all the cut down trees it was like right on the edge of a village um, and they were just placed there but people weren't allowed to like use them for anything they were still just there just there as a reminder every day when you're walking through the villages like oh that's that used to be the forest now it's a, a huge huge pile of logs mm. and you know it'd be really good to hear from you and and i think the listeners would appreciate this is just how devastating for people's daily life in in those villages that this mining and deforestation is to like their way of life because i think it's kind of a bit hard to kind of get the extent of it unless you're there obviously the movie was really good to kind of give us an overview but for the people that you met what were they saying how did it impact on their daily life and just how serious is this um, mining issue in the philippines so i should say that it's it's quite complicated in areas that um uh are, suffer from poverty because these mining companies i just to add a full picture that people in these communities don't necessarily don't want the land to go but if you are living in poverty and a mining company comes and offers you a huge chunk of money to participate and, and i'm not saying people this wasn't the case with like the people in our movie but this, these were conversations we would have with people that say it's really difficult because they're living in poverty and they've been offered money to participate or in some form or another with um allowing this to happen and so that's one end of the scale is that, you know, it's, it's specifically targeting vulnerable people who are suffering um, financially. And that's, that was a real, that's a real, diff and that was, we spoke to the mayor about this. It was a difficult thing to, to, uh, to, to come up against. But on the flip side, we were there on the ground talking to Nosita and her community who were just saying how devastating this was, you know, centuries of their family and people in their lives who have enjoyed the beauty of this land, who are now seeing, it's not like it's as very, it's not like the community are benefiting in any way is the other thing is, and not only is the environment obviously not benefiting, this is horrible destruction, but it's not even as if the quote benefits even reach people in these communities. It's obviously the mining is a big issue for people profiting in the cities and outside of these communities and in other countries and a lot of international um, trading and so forth like this is not something that um, even if they were to try and put a positive spin on it it's not like the, the, these people in these communities benefit in any way so obviously completely devastating for people in these communities and, and just something that's just a, such a visible destruction to their land and, and the land that they know but then also these complications that I touched upon that are really difficult to kind of get your head around and that was something that um, that we we didn't know actually when we went into this being like this is on an, reflection and we can we can understand why some people might do that obviously it's not something we would want but it's difficult when you when you live in poverty as well so and do you know what they're trying to, sorry sorry um, you know what they're trying to build so what what are they what, what are supermarket malls and because that's normally what it's, happens isn't it these big it's yeah. not necessarily to build within these areas. I mean, I'm not saying that that won't be, the land won't be sold off and used for farming or for something else, but um, it's a lot of the time the benefits of taking this actual, the logs and the land, uh, the, the actual physical things that they've cut down and transporting that. It's both. Obviously mining is one area as well. And I, I there's also a lot of um, uh, silence and 
lack of transparency around what actually is benefited in the end, benefited, quote, earmarks from this destruction. Because obviously they don't have a website declaring publicly, here's what we've done to this piece of land and here's how we're going to sell it off. It's incredibly difficult to understand the exact route of where this, where it, does the logs, do the logs and that timber go anywhere? Oh, and then what is actually used to the land and how is the government, because there's a lot of shady deals done as well where this isn't transparent and this is really difficult for us to uncover. Um, and so for Ramey and I, I was just trying to show that process of this is what's happening and there's still this massive shroud of secrecy around it as well. And it's just, if it's not communicated to us, it's certainly not communicated to these communities either. Yeah. Um, and speaking of devastation, um, it'd be really interesting to hear from both of you what you think um, the biggest thing um, affecting climate change, you know, what, what, what would you say is the biggest threat towards climate change and climate crisis? Is it mining? Is it um, emissions? Is it, yeah, what kind of, based on kind of your experiences and all the areas that you've worked in and travelled to? I think, I don't know exactly what's the, the, the biggest threat, but I think one of the biggest threats on a global scale is just lack of cooperation and a lack of kind of, um, yeah, just a lack of cooperation, whether that's from local communities and governments or kind of governments and governments or, you know, multinational corporations and, you know, all of these massive kind of multitude of, 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 of actors but people aren't really cooperating with one another about how to protect the land. Uh, and I think that's one of the key things. I think when it comes to not just the environment, but actually the state of society is that there's not a cooperation. Um, and I think that's one of, yeah, I think that's one of the key, key issues. And so in terms of a solution, uh, sorry, before Rosalind answers, what, what would, what would be, what would you say is a solution then to get around that? Obviously coming together, but is there any other mechanisms that you could think of or? Um... Well, I think it's, it's hard. It's not impossible, but it's, it's, it's for people to not focus on their own interests, purely on their own interests. Um, it's, it's about not putting profit before people. It's not putting um you know the few before the many you know there's all these little slogans but like i think that's the key thing it's it's changing the way our system works changing the way the kind of the capitalist system that we're living in um is structured because it it isn't working it isn't it's broken it's clearly broken and it's nearing the end of of its kind of capacity to serve us um i don't exactly know what the solution is but we can't keep on living the way we're living and mm. consuming the way we're consuming um but it, i think it's a it's a everyone needs to have a kind of a cultural shift in the way we in our business as normal um and in a weird way like bringing it back to this year and the kind of enforced lockdown of the world that's actually shown that in a way we can drastically change at the drop of a hat the whole system can change at the drop of a hat um 
but we need to continue that, but also in a more, uh, in a more kind of cooperative way. Um, I, uh, I completely agree uh, with all of that. Um, I think, um, again, to kind of touch on what I said earlier about thinking about, obviously, the, a lot of the richer countries in the world are the ones creating vast amounts of emissions and destruction around the planet. And it's always countries hit by poverty and, you know, bigger crises that are the ones suffering the most. And we, I mean, there's, there's a ton of studies and things around that. It's um, just deeply unfair on so many levels um, and so deeply devastating. And I think at least the, I guess, I mean, there are so many, ideas about what solutions could be, I guess, from a, a UK perspective, I guess is the first thing that I can speak to about, but there were things like student campaigners uh, in British universities campaigning against divesting from fossil fuels and like things like that, which feel like a more practical campaigning route, but then also speaking to what Ramey said about just trying to do what we can in our day to day about changing people's perspectives and understanding of the of the world around us and uh, to think less inwards and thinking more about community. And I don't know with, with COVID and the global pandemic now, how much that has been shifted, that viewpoint has been shifted, if at all, and I would hope so. I hope that the sort of more conversations around community and the benefits of people first in terms of looking after each other um, and, the, and where we live, um, then I don't know. It's 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 such a sprawling, yeah. yeah, it's such a sprawling um, topic and um, no clear answers. But I think there's broader conversations around being less selfish um, and uh, thinking of others. I mean, these are things you learn at school and primary school, and yet adults still can't get their head around it. You know, twenty, thirty years later, um, yeah. It's interesting because I I'm thinking about this um because my my brother did a bit of work in um in Bhutan actually and I know in Bhutan they have I think it's saying their constitution they can't actually destroy the forest so I'm thinking at how could if we because we've also spoken about um system change in a previous podcast and individual change being equally important as equally if not more important for the long term but in terms of the short term um law so actually utilizing the law whether that's from the top down, so from like UN kind of like big force, big powerful force perspective, all the way then trickled down to like the supranational organizations like the EU actually enforcing laws so states can't actually break them. Because I kind of just see it as like there's so much that you can do individually, but if the, if the state can just get away with it and keep mining in these beautiful forests, keep taking people's land and ruining people's lives and killing people, um, one way of getting around that is a law, which the law as in itself is not perfect at all. The justice system is massively flawed as well, but you can change it and you can make sure that states do try to abide by things. But again, my perspective is warped. It's from a UK perspective. So I know that it's, it's very different. It's easier maybe to change things here because of our legal system, but it can be a lot harder in the Philippines. So I'm wondering, did you speak to any women who maybe were interested in getting legal on this you know holding the companies to account or is that just something that they haven't thought about i i think the the mayor is a huge advocate for protecting the environment and from a sort of i guess at least on that on on that island 
being a sort of force for change, a force for good. She certainly, you know, she really impressed Raimi and I when she, her commitment to and trying everything she can from, again, it's not necessarily, as you say, from a legal perspective, from, but from a political one, yeah, and from someone with yeah. influence. She certainly uh, was really impressive. It's difficult when there's a lot of foreign interference um, and, and benefits from, you know, foreign countries and, and sort of the financial gains that the very few can make if they were given this land to mine and so forth. And that's difficult. And I think from a, you know, as it's tr- I, I totally agree. I think, you know, political change and um, calling for change in law. Um, but when those leaders are the ones that are meant to enact it, but still allowing for corruption and, um, you know, personal gain, um, it's, it's, it can be really difficult challenge, as you say. So, um, I don't mean that to be sound so pessimistic. So I totally agree with you. I think I think that is the core of of, of a lot of this change and and sort of people powered, right? It has to be people powered. It has to be um, a collaborative effort. It can't just be one person. So you know, the mayor at the very least, you know, really sounded like she sort of is galvanizing people and and sort of from her position of power as well is helping to shape that. Um, I don't know what you think, Framie. Yeah. Well, I think. Uh, just echoing what you said, I think also having the mayor on their side also kind of gives so much kind of um, support, like emotional support as well to kind of Noel Sita and other, the other people in the village that feel so um, heartbroken because of the destruction of the forest. So having someone in a position of, of power within that kind of structure it's a real it's a real benefit mm-hmm. um and i think also in terms of as what we were talking about earlier i think it is these you need both levels for any change to happen you need you need the kind of government structure and the kind of political structure to really enforce things but also you know it really comes down to individual action but the two things are you're completely into interlinked uh, for mm. any real change to happen mm. and to speak to you know the core the core of your podcast in terms of a sort of international focus and and really connecting uh you know women worldwide in this sort of broad environmental cause and an issue worldwide um i don't you know I, I, the term raising awareness is really can be sort of quite vague and thrown around but actually amplifying these voices and ensuring that people around the world know that there's full transparency and that no one can say that they didn't know that these things were happening right so there are ways that those that international relationship and communication can benefit people globally so you know for example um i know some people who try to donate and and to buy buy plots of land in the amazon um, and, and sort of work with sort of local charities who try and fence off land and protect it from being damaged. And, and you know, there are various schemes like that, that I think building more of that global communication and ensuring these stories are all interlinked and shared and, and that that keeps going, I think is important um, because it means that it doesn't just feel siloed off as if like we only, we're only going to tackle this one thing here in our community, but it's actually like, are there ways I can support campaigners and uh, in, in that, that particular country, is there some, if, if I can't donate, can I sort of post something about it or can I do this? And 
um, you know, it, it doesn't have to be like hollow raising awareness, but it's actually just sharing those stories. And um, I, anyway, that's something I, I think about. And I think that's a really important point. Um, and that's highlighted in your film in that um, I think what's really important as well as system change and coming together is also about empowering people to know that they can make change. I feel that um, it's like the voting, you know, we vote, we vote, we vote, and then, you know, the person that's, that's elected is not someone that we wanted. So we get really disheartened by that and that people are like, why, why should I vote? Because it doesn't really mean anything. But I think with all these kind of work, uh, human rights and empowering women and the environment, it's telling every single person from a young child to an older person that every step you take and anything you do, being responsible, being conscious, you are going to make a difference. You don't have to be the UN to do that. You don't have to be you two filming, you know, because you, you're able to do that. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. And that's what I felt in your film that highlighted that these are just women in a, in a, in a forest and you know, they felt really empowered to do it. And I thought that your film really empowered a lot of people um, to think, you know, it doesn't matter how small I am or how much money I have or what color I am or what gender I am, you know, I can make a change for my community. And I, and I think we need to be empowering people to do that. And so um, it's really great to see your work and hopefully you guys continue to, to do that, to give people that um, you're not alone and you can make a difference from wherever you are, whether it's recycling to, I don't know, uh, writing to your MP. So I think it's really important. Thank you. Yeah, we totally agree. I think small, small acts can make a big difference. Exactly. And on the whole, obviously, the feminist lens, as Rosalind, you mentioned, this is the feminist lens. So as, as whether if you identify as a feminist or not, what are the biggest barriers to women? Basically, what would you change to make sure that the world is in the right place and in a, on a, in a feminist perspective? I think I, I was thinking about this earlier when I saw the question. And I don't know if I totally agree with this, and I've kind of had this discussion a few times with people, but it's, it's stop looking at history. I know history is so important, and I know why we need history. We need to retain these stories. But we need to, we need to almost change this, this ingrained idea that, that people have had, like that men have had, change the patriarchy, basically. Um, and it's almost like forgetting forgetting that the patriarchy exists um and then we can kind of start fresh and i know we need history we need story because we need to continue uh, and change things but it's almost it's getting rid of i don't know i feel like if there was just like a a complete reset button and we all just suddenly dropped here then i feel like we could have a much more harmonious society and i know this is completely idealist is actually not possible um but I think I always have this discussion, like, should we actually get rid of history? And I know I'm completely diverting now. Um, but I think it's such an interesting topic. Um, but I think the, but it's going back to the question. Um, I think it's, I don't know, it's just listening. I think it's for people to listen to one another. It's for, uh, for men with these ingrained patriarchal ideas, it's, it's for them to kind of listen to women and a whole range of different women um, or, you know, yeah. I think it's just listening to one another's stories and one another's needs. And how would we do that? So we have to, <laughs> how would we make everybody listen to each other? Because we all have vested interest in our own life and everything's quite relative uh, depending on where you live. So mm. deforestation is obviously not a problem for people in the UK. So how do we make them listen? and? 
and, and say, this is actually wrong. You know, even though we don't live there, we're going to write to whoever, I don't know, and, you know, work with people. Yeah, I mean, as, as a filmmaker, I think the key thing is, in, is engaging people through a medium such as, um, such as film, where you can actually start to understand someone's story uh, almost more so than talking to someone. I mean, talking is great, but sometimes social interaction can be kind of blurred and marred by all sorts of different things. Whereas sometimes just watching a story and really connecting to that person is actually a key, one of the key things. And I think that's, I mean, that's what drives me anyway to create kind of visual stories um is that sense of connection and that that kind of sense of that sense of understanding you can get through film which is almost more powerful than talking to people i feel like that's one of the key ways to make people listen um and make people aware about a whole multitude of of topics and rosalind did you have anything chad from that no oh, um I guess it doesn't necessarily directly uh, relate to our specific film, but I guess if I had a magic wand and could change <laughs> things from a feminist lens, um, I would, uh, first of all, like, would want people to not associate it, not, not associate having uh, a woman in power as therefore being a feminist uh therefore feminism is solved basically not taking that surface level visibility of women in power as equating to equality so i mean i just that's something that's come up a lot recently not just with the uk recently about like the margaret thatcher and you know like and all <laughs> that's sorry i'm going off the top of it but like having a woman in power does not equate Theresa may. To, yeah, yeah and Theresa may and all these and it's just like that does not mean job done and i think that's something that i've been thinking about recently um while it is obviously a, a good thing to have more women in parliament and, and more women in politics it doesn't necessarily mean that they are going to enforce policies and real change for women and Sun Suu Kyi being the biggest disappointment of my life as an example like these things like it doesn't mean that the world is going to be a better place so you know really ensuring that the people that we back mm. and advocate for in these sort of positions of power um, actually, um, uh, you know, really um, actually enact something that is, is beneficial for women. And then I guess the second thing, just sort of on a more serious note, I think about, you know, sexual violence against women around the world and, and gender-based violence. If I could change it overnight and, and make that, uh, you know, much more serious, a crime that's taken much more seriously and, and with harsher laws and with harsher, uh, but also greater awareness and, and, uh, and not just from, you know, it's always treated as a like women's issue. Uh, you know, sexual violence is always like, oh, it's a, it's a women. And it's like, we need to educate men and we need to ensure that men understand things, you know, even basic conversations around consent and basic conversations around um, th those, those issues that women have always had to know from day one. But I think, you know, that's not always something that men have had to consider. And so, um, yeah, those are two things I think would be, would be useful in, in making the world a little bit more feminist. Definitely. And um, there has been something um, this week, you know, what, they, um, what was that organisation that are trying to criminalise uh, sexual harassment? So, Our Streets Now, Our Streets, yeah. Yeah, yeah so that's, um, mm. yeah, very, very important, very key. 
Um, and so the final question, really, it's, it's a call of action for, from you guys to our listeners. So what can they do to support you guys in the work that you're doing? What should they be doing to find out more about the environment, women's rights, um, just being, you know, uh, more informed about the catastrophic world we live in at the moment. And There's a lot going on. <laughs> and helping to, to, to um, you know, to change it in their way. Uh, and also to promote you guys and support you guys uh, because you're doing really, really important work in highlighting these issues. So what yeah, do you well, need from us, basically? How can I, think, you help? <laughs> I think the main thing is for, for people just to to research more and look into things more. Um, I think that's the key thing is that a lot of, a lot of our information is gathered in just small, tiny snippets and headlines. Um, and a lot of us rarely actually look into stuff a lot more. We kind of see a headline, we're like, oh, okay, yeah, no, I know that. And then you scroll down. Um, but our kind of actual level of detail and processing of information is 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 really shallow so i think for understanding more about environmental things or specific um specific things that are happening in the philippines for for example or wherever it's about actually just taking the time to just research a little bit more and kind of watch some watch some films um but also just look into what what's going on rather than just seeing a headline and a, and a fact and a statistic um but like delving a little bit deeper in um and also listening i think also one of the key issues we have at the moment is that we, i feel like everyone lives in their little bubble um and obviously our algorithms and on our phones and social media and everything really just show us what we already believe and what we want to see um but we kind of really need to get information from from other sources and opposing our political environmental views we need to we need to get a much wider range of of information um can you give some examples maybe remy so if for example if you only read the guardian what other kind of sources would you suggest to read you know because we are our vision is so tunneled at the moment so you're saying read more widely. Could you give some examples potentially for our listeners who maybe wanted to diversify their, whether it's their, their Instagram or their reading material? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not necessarily the best at it. So because like, <laughs> <laughs> I do the same thing. I like go to the Guardian and I, um, but I think it's when, when there is, some, when I do kind of have a, a particular kind of topic or a particular uh, article that I'm like oh god that's really interesting then it's always good to kind of just fact check it a little bit um, and just do some google searches about it and try and get some other information like I'm not suggesting if you read the guardian you should read the daily mail um, Absolutely not. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> like just getting some more stuff off off the internet um, Changing um, your your you know perception and, or misconception about things, yeah, I totally, yeah. yeah. And maybe if you are reading the Daily Mail, uh, <laughs> you should stop. stop. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I totally agree with what Remy's saying. You know, really, when possible and where appropriate, to diversify what 
where you've where you read information and and how you read it and, and where those sources are you know being critical about where that source of information comes from i think there's a there's a real challenge globally today about media literacy and talking about um where this information is rooted in and if there's you know the, at the end of the day we you know we joke and we read the guardian but they also will have their own slant on things uh, things and, and to really think about um is there a different point of view here and that doesn't necessarily mean going the polar opposite view it just means reading other sources um and so i totally agree with all of that and i think in thinking about particularly with with this film and, and your work you know if there's local news sources within those countries that you that you've read something about and you want to know more the same thing with local charities working on the ground you know i always urge not while there are there's some really amazing work being done by larger ngos you know i don't necessarily think like all ngos all small ngos are therefore superior because they're smaller but you know lots of time work small ngos working on the ground directly um do do a lot more hands-on work and, and can offer a bit more of that perspective whereas you know being in an office in the uk doesn't necessarily offer that same point of view or that same insight um so you know diversify not only where our news comes from but how we understand some of these broader social issues that that we're looking into and are interested in and i guess um something I had, oh yeah in terms of a professional level Raimi and i are both i mean i'm not necessarily a freelancer right now but many years as a freelancer um to support freelancers <laughs> and and like you know looking at local filmmakers and journalists and and i personally have always advocated for um finding journalists or filmmakers who do work that you enjoy and following their work rather than where they work so you know rather than saying oh i like the guardian i always read the guardian it's like maybe over time identifying the type you know a handful of reporters at a place and be like i really enjoy what they write about or what they focus on and you know, if they move jobs, then you're following their work still because you, you you like their work. And so the same thing I imagine with filmmakers, not necessarily looking at the the agency that somebody works at and be like, oh, I love everything they do. It's actually being like, oh, I really like um, this person and that person's work. And so I, I'm always an advocate for trying to identify the the creative people, the filmmakers, the writers who do work that's valuable and following their work. And that you know, because again, a lot of the time they go freelance as well. And so. Especially now, given the circumstances of COVID, there's a lot of freelancers who um, do really incredible work but don't have the resources and funding. So, on top of that, you know, if you're thinking like, oh, I really want to, if I've got, I want to financially support local news and I want to give like some money to, you know, they keep saying pay for news and pay for this, that, and the other, like rather than donate to, uh, I don't know, even with the, <laughs> we keep going back to the Guardian, rather than just giving money to the Guardian, be like, oh, I wonder if there's a couple of freelancer journalists who I follow the work of and I want to donate yeah. to, or same thing with, if there's a, you know, a fundraiser for a film, uh, you know, that mm. online, or if there's a particular project you want to give money to independent filmmaker, think it a little bit more like that. Um, so where is your, because I know there's like, there's engaged media, right? There's other, where is your film? Where is the best place to watch your, the actual film, the project? Because we'll put in the show notes, we'll put um, your, basically your Instagrams or websites and everything. We'll put in the show notes, people can follow you directly. But where is your preferred platform for the film to be viewed? Which is? It's kind of, it's in a few places at the okay. moment. Um, so the one, there's, so that it's, it's actually on, published on my personal Vimeo account um, and that's what a number of places have actually linked so it's on like films for action but the actual video link still goes back to my Vimeo um, 
it's also on Amazon Prime, but I don't actually necessarily suggest going to Amazon <laughs> Prime, um, even though it's nice, nice little but, ego thing that's there. <laughs> it's, <laughs> but, good, it's good for mass reach, but you know, we do not support us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so in terms of, yeah, one of the, the one of the spots where it is, which is most places are linking to, is actually um, my personal Vimeo account. Wicked. And then also in terms of our links, we both have our own uh, websites, personal websites, which mm -hmm. have all of our kind of contact and social medias and mm -hmm. all those things. Perfect. Paris, do you want to close it off? Yeah, so guys, thank you so much for your time. That was really, really interesting. I um, hope you enjoyed it. And um, yeah, we'll definitely get this up on our podcast so everyone can um, hear it. Uh, also get and yeah, we, we look forward to speaking with you and working with you more uh, as time goes on. And if there's any way we can support you, let us know. And obviously, promote the feminist lens, tell everyone about us. And um, yeah, all the best. You know you got it. You ain't got the time. You don't need a man to whine. Tell them where to stand in line and move. They get them a free. They ain't on your mind. Don't you let them steal your shine. They should know. Tony, 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 Tony,